What up, what up, episode 100 of... Sti- 100? No, episode 7 of the Stiff Shots podcast coming at you for nearly two months. Wow, what did you do before that? What were you listening to before we came into your life? My name is Ryan Rainbow. With me, as always, is Rick Jimenez. We're both fresh off of our travels and here to talk to you about All Elite Wrestling's Fighter Fest that took place not this past weekend, but the weekend prior. Uh, at the time that this is being released, we are one day away from the next AEW show. They're really cranking them out here, the Fight for the Fallen, so I'm sure we'll be talking about that soon. But in the meantime, we got Fighter Fest. Rick, how you doing? How was your trip? The trip was great. Now I'm home. Life sucks. And for some reason, I'm still alive. Well, you can always hope for better luck next time. Uh, my trip to Texas, Tejas, as they call it, was fine. Uh, Texas is fine, at least. The New Japan G1 Climax Night 1 was incredible. Uh, normally, these shows, these G1 shows, they have the opening tag matches, and they're whatever to me, and then they have the actual main tournament matches, and they're usually pretty good. But this show rivals NXT New York for my favorite live wrestling experience. It was really awesome, and I hope to see a proper New Japan show again in the States. Or, you know what? Proper New Japan show in Japan. But today... It's all about the Fighter Fest, presented by All Elite Wrestling. First, we had the pre-show, and we had the regular show. We're going to talk about both, but Rick, what did you think about this show? So, some time has gone since we watched this show, and I think the time passed since I watched it kind of changed my memories a little bit until I went back and read my notes, and I took a lot of fucking notes, and I did a lot of them by hand also, which is crazy. To answer your question, full disclosure, I can't recall ever seeing a wrestling show that was more fucking embarrassing in my entire life. Uh, this might not be the most embarrassing show I've ever seen in my entire life, but I sure can't remember one that <laughs> I that I disliked higher than this one. And it's really, really such a bummer because, dude, I want to like these shows. And even though I think the show was bad, that doesn't mean that I think AEW is bad. I know that's the way it kind of comes across. I think it might just be a victim of the fact that they're still just spot shows and there's nothing aside from a handful or a small handful of YouTube videos with no wrestling involved leading up to these shows. I'm, we keep going back to this. I really hope that the weekly TV changes the way that they do their big, you know, pay-per-views or, you know, free internet Bleacher Report shows or whatever the fuck, the big, you know, monthly or bi-monthly blow-off shows. But as of right now with them just being spot shows, ugh, this one. So, like I said, I was watching this in the van with headphones on, on the phone, and nobody else in the van is a wrestling guy. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Because I'm visually reacting, you know, with eye rolls that are so eye rolling that they're fucking making sound or my mannerisms of throwing my hands up or saying out loud what in the goddamn fucking shit but uh we can now go into great detail about how much i hated and why i hated each and every one of these matches for the most part yeah you know what we we both agreed the kind of the whole uh catalyst for this show starting stiff shots that is is that the formation of AEW and being able to follow it from its inception. 
And we both uh, liked, for the most part, Double or Nothing. But man, yeah, when I was watching Fighter Fest, I was just like, this can't be what they think is their best foot forward. You know? Right, right. Dude, I'm flabbergasted. It was just, wait a minute, what? Oh, okay, maybe it's just this match. Wait a wait, what? Oh, I, I guess that's just because it's the pre-show. And like, wait, what the what the fuck are they doing? What are they even going for? So I felt overall, like so we'll get into it. Overall, this to me took everything that people say they don't like about WWE, multiplied it to the nth degree, and then put a different three letters to it and said, Hey, this is this is our show. It rocks, right? And my answer is left. It does not rock. <laughs> One thing that I definitely hope they address with Fight for the Fallen that was a criticism I had of Double or Nothing and is a definitely a criticism I have for Fighter Fest is these pre-shows are the worst parts of the show. Now, some might argue that that uh, the pre-show doesn't need to be the best part of the show. It's the pre-show. It's not the real show. But I would say with this being a new company, and I know that technically this whole show was free, right. but Double or Nothing had cost to it. The pre-show should be getting me psyched to see the real show. It should be an accurate representation of what's to come. And between the triple tag team match, which wasn't offensive necessarily, and the Nagasaki, I'm sorry, Nagazawa versus Jibaley match, nobody that isn't already into these performers, that isn't already going to like everything they do. And when I say these performers, I mean the elite, as in Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, Cody. This isn't turning anybody new on. Nobody saw the Marcus Lemonis from The Prophet, a.k.a. the CEO of a company called CEO, fighting Nagazawa and was like, oh, man, this rocks. I got to see what's to come. I got to get more of this. You know, that didn't happen. The non-wrestler versus Jabali. But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Let's start with the first match of the pre-show. It's a triple tag team match which does have consequences, so I was happy about that. The, they're having a tag team tournament that the winner of this match gets a bye in the first round. So you got uh, the Lost Prophets, <clears throat> Private Party, versus the Guy Conics, the best friends, and Stone Cold University uh, being represented by Kazarian and Scorpio Sky because Daniels had a match later on. This match wasn't uh, great, and I don't get the hype around... Pri Private Party had an episode of The Road 2. Did you see their, episode, their YouTube episode? I saw the first one or two Road 2s for this, I believe, and then I kind of lost track of them, and then all of a sudden, the show was there. The traveling kind of fucked me up with all of that. So Private Party had an episode where it kind of gives you a, a little bit of background on them, which... We both agree AEW has been doing good with those YouTube shows to give you an idea of these characters. I don't think that they did a bad job of presenting these characters to me. I just don't like them. They don't they don't impress me. They look they don't look like anything special to me. They I know that it's probably not fair to compare any of these AEW uh, newcomers to established WWE slash NXT whatever acts but i can't think of anything other than the street profits when i see these guys but like a lesser version of them you know mark quinn is kind of the montez ford where he's clearly the star out of the two and then the other guy whose name i didn't even catch is clearly the dawkins where he's just kind of there so they can have a tag team they're small looking guys to me they did a couple cool spots so i'm not trying to say that they're garbage or anything like that but nothing about them made me go oh okay this is who i should look for in their tag team division 
See, I don't think it's unfair at all to compare them to. Maybe it's not fair to compare them to an established WWE star, but I don't. I think it's one hundred percent fair to compare them to anybody, any level of NXT, because they're on fucking AEW, the proposed, you know, number two or the alternative to WWE. So, I think it is extremely fair to compare them to at least somebody or a team on the NXT roster. Um, so the internet loves private party, which I've never heard of private party before the show. And I never saw somebody talk about them during the show, but after the show, I saw a ton of people talk about them, but the people that I did see talk about them are the same people that I see talk about everybody else that almost seems like you're supposed to like whether they're good, bad, or otherwise, just because they're the new thing. And you know, that that doesn't impress me. I at this point I almost like that I didn't see the road too, so I had no idea about private party whatsoever. And then they just had to impress me in this match. And that's the most important thing for a wrestler, from my point of view, go in the fucking ring and do something that impresses me. And they did none of that. So I feel like this match, the entire thing, as usual, was a complete spot fest. And it was all okay performances, in my opinion, as far as performance wrestling goes. So what I mean by performance wrestling is, you know, of course, all wrestling is a performance. But the difference of watching a match and in the scope of professional wrestling, knowing it's a work, you watch it and it's believable in that bubble. And it makes sense and it's fun and it's interesting and it draws you in. You get emotionally involved in it. To me, performance wrestling is like fucking dance class or like a dance recital or a gymnastics routine, which is like, oh, hey, now I'm bouncing. I'm doing this flip. I'm doing this flip. And then I, you know, twirl around a little bit. Now I'm up on one foot and I'm going to look at the judges and smile. I hate that fucking shit. It just looked overly to me. Everybody in this match is just going along with the slightest hint of a move. So it's not even like, oh, well, the guy's doing an Irish whip. Like, that would never happen in real life. I don't fucking care what's happening in real life. I'm watching wrestling. And there's a way to do an Irish whip and have it make sense in the scope of wrestling. Now, what doesn't make sense to me is a guy is laying on the ground and he knows that he's going to get Irish whipped. So the guy picks him up by his hand. So then he immediately grabs the guy's hand, jumps into one rope, and then jumps to the other rope without being whipped. That's fucking stupid. Don't do that shit. It sucks. It's insulting. I hate the best friends even more today than I did yesterday. It's stupid. Get the fuck out of my face with that shit. Well, uh, what I hate more than all of these teams, somehow, is after the best friends win, the, I believe they're calling them the Dark Order now show up, uh, Bowser's fatter, less impressive brother. And then the third Viking experience come on the screen and they're like, yo, we're going to take you out. And then Rita Repulsa's putties show up for a second, then disappear. Like, get out of here. Are you even why would I think that you're even a team? What what about you makes you a team? Why do you have control over little putties? I don't know anything about you other than you look like garbage. It looks like you do need a team of 20 people if you're going to defeat anybody in physical slash mortal combat you might need sub-zero and scorpion while you're at it and we're at the video game show so maybe they're gonna show up anyway i don't know the only way i would have excused that or the following match between the guy 
who runs the video game tournament and Nakazawa is if he would have shot a literal fire, if he would have ripped his face off and revealed a skeleton and then spit a fireball out or shot a spear through his hand. But neither thing happened. Therefore, you know, I cannot abide. The party guys to me, they're the epitome of indie wrestling small wimps that know acrobatics from reading three Batman comics that focused on Robin and never watched a wrestling match before 2006 in their entire life. And they should be forced to fight me for real because this match was offensive to my goddamn senses. So as what you were saying, the fucking gimp squad from Pulp Fiction shows up again. They get no reaction again, and they shouldn't because who the fuck cares about four putties without electricity? The crowd couldn't even pretend to care about that whole situation. And I couldn't pretend to care positively about anything that happened in that match. I really am. I don't I don't get the the premise of that team. And maybe, you know, that's a thing that you could you could defend with. Well, you know, on the weekly show, it'll get fleshed out. But I've then you should have waited for me to see on the weekly show those characters, because right now I already don't like them. And I don't see you making me like them by showing me a video package. So this uh, Kenny Omega and Young Bucks documentary thing and the whole mannequin deal is so stupid and dumbass wannabe comedy fucking garbaggio why tv my eyes offend do you do this the elite are the shane mcmahon's of the whole show they pop up randomly throughout that whole pre-show kenny and the bucks and you know maybe one little sec because the whole thing of course is a reference to firefest which is already not a topical reference because it's years old at this point and i know the documentaries came out last year or maybe it was even earlier this year but it's not even like you know, finger on the pulse of pop culture or anything. So one or two references max, but to have this whole, what, hour and a half pre-show, I felt like it was days long, devoted to these little skits that they think are funny, these little sketches. Oh, my God. And how is Kenny not full heel by making the models go away to replace it for mannequins? That should have been, he should have been attacked immediately. Totally illogical, and like what you said about not having their finger on the pulse when their whole gimmick is that they have their fucking finger on the pulse. If if DVDs were still sold and bought and whatever, at some point, this show, if everything goes the way AEW wants it to go, will be archived on some sort of streaming format. Someone's going to go back and want to watch All In, and then watch Double or Nothing, and then watch Fighter Fest, and like, oh, these are the first three shows this company has ever done they're gonna have no fucking idea what's being referenced like the whole Firefest thing it was like i would be surprised if that even made it on to i love the 2019s when vh1 is being fucking broadcast on mars in 10 years like it it's like a, a fucking drop in the ocean of things that mattered in over the past year or so so having that be what the whole show was based on, let alone all this time. Come on, man. That sucks. Yeah, Michael Lee and Black wouldn't have any hilarious commentary for that. That's how... It was irrelevant when it happened. The only person that I've ever heard talk about it is Dan Turr. (laughs) That's because Dan Turr loves Ja Rule. All right, so next what we got going right in order here are the the librarians. (laughs) (laughs) The, The librarians come out who are 
I think it goes without saying, whack as hell. And I even read something online that the whole purpose, which if this is true, is even dumber than what I think they are now. But the whole purpose, in theory, of the librarians is just Kenny and Cody and the Bucks popping each other with the worst gimmick idea they could think of and then having two of them. So they're shot at being a big contender for a main TV channel promotion, whatever, is an inside, inside joke with something that they're making deliberately suck. So that's worst case scenario. Best case scenario is this sucks on accident because it's two librarians who I guess are now friends. They work in the same library. They joined up via Dewey Decimal System and they have a little, sh not even a shush off where one librarian just hyping up the other librarian with, the, with backup shushes. And then Allie comes out as basically Smiley Kylie. We haven't heard of, about or seen Smiley Kylie since Double or Nothing. So I guess Allie's just taken on that role because normally she's like this demon bunny thing that she has been running with. Now she's all smiles. She's happy to be there. Just loves to have fun. And she comes out to face Leva Bates, the blue-haired librarian. The fucking librarians again, you know, regardless of whether it's supposed to be purposely terrible or accidentally terrible, it is... It's so stupid to have this on a fucking television screen or any video monitoring device. Somebody yells, this gimmick sucks, like moderately toned, and you hear it crystal clear because the crowd doesn't fucking give Ozzy's headless bat's ass about it <laughs> unless it's being put to a painful death. So you just straight up hear, this gimmick sucks. And that was, you know, the best part of this match. But, man, the the... Guy librarian looks like the fucking Mark I stole lunch money from. So he was forced <laughs> to hang out with the mother fucking real librarian. Uh, the woman librarian sucks more with blue hair than she did with blue pants. And she should fucking, she should go up in the woods where she can't bother anyone. Uh, like you said, Allie, another woman whose gimmick is that she's happy. A fucking gen with this shit. And then, with all of this fucking garbage dumpster fire happening on television, they cut to Brandy watching the monitor, and you know what they comment? Oh, Brandy, at least she's watching the monitor from a logical angle. So they're taking a shot at how WWE people always watch the monitors from the side so you can see their face and see the monitor. But, like... Maybe instead of sucking their own cocks on the most minuscule differences from WWE <laughs> that are actually insignificant to any normal person in the world's enjoyment of that show, they should focus first and foremost on what's important, like delivering some fucking logical wrestling in any way, shape, or form, instead of pissing me the fuck off by being a character of WWE, but drawn by a three-year-old upside down after being dropped <laughs> by their five-year-old sibling, who is also a fucking moron. The best part about that comment, too, is like, okay, so do they think that somebody's going to be casually flipping through? They land on TNT, and they see Brandy, and they're like, oh, shit, I, mean, I gotta stick around. Look how she's watching that television monitor. Dude, like, I guarantee with their, with their commentary, somebody's flipping through the channels, and they're going to think, oh, my God, I'm watching a wrestler watch a monitor, but I see the back of her head because she's actually watching it. This must be better than WWE. No. Wrong. So now... If the reports that 250 million people tried to get tickets for this are actually true, then I'm real glad that they couldn't. 
because this match deserves to be in the backyard to no one but the parents and only so they could be grounded until college because that's what would happen if the parents saw this happening in their fucking backyard. But I, I know that the whole rumor of the 250 million people that tried to get tickets for the show, I know that that was actually for All Out and not for this show. But uh, I don't care because I'm actually stupider and lost so many brain cells just by watching this show so far that I confuse it too. But um, Leva, right, Leva? Yeah, Leva Bates. She's so bad that it's painful. Not that she should have any seconds for a match at all, but why the fuck, if this match needed to exist for human eyes at all, did they get this long and not just four or five minutes? Hey, rehearse this, and you'll only be as offensive as mild racism amount of time. <laughs> that finish was so god-awful, I'm blown away that Leva has ever been, not just in a match or an arena, but allowed to even have the same opportunity viewing capabilities as I do to watch wrestling, Although even with her being afforded that privilege, I'm fairly certain she's never actually done it. And I know her fucking pants were blue in NXT, but I wish my face was blue and I was dead as hell after watching this insane abomination of an, of an idiot fest in a squared circle of which I hold in high regard. It was offensive. This could have been in a dumpster and it would have still have been a travesty to defile that dumpster. That's what I thought about this fucking match. Yeah, emphasis on the Travis. First off, we go back to Kenny Omega holding a drum, and he's all, like, clueless and confused. Like, all of a sudden, like, he was that before the drum. He's always clueless and confused. But, of course, he's going to be baffled once he touches that thing. Like, you know, all drummers in the world look like that when they're holding fucking drums. So at least he's, you know, filling that, that character void. Let me just add in real quick, Justin Roberts, this guy sucks. All Every has. See, I never considered him – like I never figured he sucked or thought that he sucked. I guess it was just kind of the way he did his thing under the guise of WWE. It was just a different voice. I never questioned it. I don't know what it is, but now I feel like he draws so much attention to himself with the way he's doing it. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But, dude, he is fucking terrible. His, I, hear he, I hear he's a nice guy. You know, that's like the general thing. And I know that he's he's really sad that Stephanie McMahon stole Connor's cure and friendship and charity shine from him. Uh, and I know Justin's good and Stephanie's bad. But, man, I'd gladly get fired from my job to choke his ass out, too. I haven't liked him since that story came out because I felt like that story demonstrates his in-ring work, if you want to call it in-ring work, where he's just constantly trying to bring attention to himself. It's like... Okay, you're up. Like, are you really trying to take credit for a charity? Like, who gives a shit? Is the kid get is the is the is the money being donated? Okay, well, Stephanie is the 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 world famous television star is the one that's spearheading it instead of you, Captain Nobody. So I'm sorry <laughs> that you were you didn't get to be the face of charity. But yeah, man, he he really is terrible, and it, it it's a very TNA move to even bring him in, in the sense that. In a negative TNA move, because as we've established, I do like a lot of TNA early on. But you just bring in the guy. It's like, hey, he was he was in WWE. Now he's in our company. Okay. We know how to use him properly. He knows how to say words into a microphone. Like, give me a break. Okay, so I know because we keep jumping to it. You're dying to talk about this Nakazawa and uh, Narp match. You want to give the the sponsor or whatever. You want to let him play wrestler against. Someone who I assume is a real wrestler, Michael Nakazawa, 
Then make it a dark match. Why am I watching it on your show? Do it for his audience of adulating fans. You know, do, do the people at this tournament even know who this guy is, Jabaley? And then not only that, but the only reason he loses, what keeps the non-wrestler from kicking out is that the professional wrestler, who is a trained fighter in theory, puts his used underwear on his face, which incapacitates him from lifting his shoulder off of the mat. Give no. me two fucking breaks. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm really not. I don't have a whole lot to say about it because it's uh, it's obviously so bad. Like, okay, well, I, I have a lot to say about. It. <laughs> Please say everything that you have to. Okay, say. so you have to build goodwill with your wrestling crowd before you do BS like this, or like Mr. T, or Dennis Rodman, or Leno, or whatever. Show number two and fucking Mark video game ass Eraserhead NARP Central versus Nakazawa in a hardcore match? What in the fuck could they possibly be expecting? I feel like I'm just screaming into the microphone right now. I can't help it. <laughs> uh, after presenting the match, how it's going to be presented, then it starts and everything, like, hey, what are we going to add? Oh, guess what? What I fucking love the goddamn most. More fucking comedy. You know, if the match was a straight-up comedy match, that would have made more sense. They also could have trimmed about 70% of the time off of it, but they did neither of those. Instead, it's every fucking match, every fucking angle, dumbass goddamn motherfucking whack-as-hell comedy. Despite the fact that slipping on baby oil senton did get me to crack a smile, I went right back to wishing for a van crash afterwards, afterwards with the never-ending garbage. You know? Fucking, dude, you want a comedy hardcore match? Watch any Nasty Boys match. Or, fuck, man, rip off the Nasty Boys and any match that they've had and expand upon it. You know, this is two buddies playing wrestling move in a pool. You know, it's literally that. You know, when you go in a pool, like, hey, let me do a suplex off the fucking deck and it doesn't matter because we're going into water. Ha <laughs> ha! You know, I don't want to watch that on fucking television. It blows goats and I have proof. This is all the proof. Or you can go to fucking YouTube.com and buy in fuckfest backslash this motherfucking travesty of ocular consumption. Once again, this fucking jerk should have to fight me. There's no way any white person aside from my girlfriend would ever pay attention to me, let alone a rich one, unless he's a cop and trying to piss me off for some reason. But if anybody can get in touch with this guy, I will gladly, you know, spend a night or two in jail to fucking blast this dude. He sets up a table, and I'm hoping... Nothing but the actual absolute worst for him because it's so insulting across the board what's happening. So now I fucking I hate Shane McMahon. OK, but every hot topic Bullet Club shirt tore up in the crowd that tweets at me telling me that I'm not a real wrestling fan for liking WWE and say all that's wrong with WWE is McMahon based and all. But then cheer and holy shit, this smiling turd burgling Reggie Nart. <laughs> think for tabling himself dude what what the fuck and then finally this fat fuck gets hit with a kendo stick twice and sells it for 10 seconds then gets up and throws a suplex like what the fuck is going on you know this is like and i know at one point they referenced like oh you know he has trained a little bit but come on man I mean, do you remember how pissed, like, the nerdy wrestling fans got when Jay Leno put Hogan 
in the uh, the arm ringer, and Hogan sold it. Are you I, talking about like turning the arm, twisting the arm on the side, like, uh, and Hogan went to a knee? Yeah, people lost their fucking minds about that, you know. And and I'm not saying anything bad. Like, of course, both of us were fucking wrestling nerds. I remember seeing that, being like, "Oh, he's really selling for him," but like, whatever. That's the point of the match. And Jay Leno was a fucking major star, and you know that whole match was comedy. But this is presenting itself as a serious match and then going to comedy and then doing serious. Like, Jay Leno wasn't throwing suplexes. He wasn't getting hit with kendo sticks. So this nerd couldn't hit a fucking double playing t-ball with the way he even swings that stick. So, you know, you can call the cops now because I'm considering starting my own promotion, which will be my iPhone filming me strangling this fat fucking loser to death and then getting arrested. This may have been the worst match I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen that Harvey Whippleman versus Howard Finkel tuxedo match many times. I can't believe it. I can't believe my eyes were assaulted with that entire thing. And I didn't even reference the fucking uh, the panties thing that you did because I think I was so checked out. Like, ah, yeah, uh, why wouldn't they do that at this point? Insulting. I would rather see Kevin Eubanks deliver the diamond cutter to Eric Bischoff a hundred times than I would want to see. In fact, I want to see Kevin Eubanks versus both of these guys, and I bet he wins. All right, so next, I think, was the first match of the proper show, Daniels versus Chima. Is that what you have as well? Yeah. Now, this match was was actually pretty good. Another example of, okay, Nagazawa versus Bailey should have been a dark match at best. The librarians also should have been off, but if you would have swapped out this Daniels Chima match with the triple tag team match, I probably would have been okay with that because Daniels versus Chima is a competitive match between two vets who know what they're doing, who are good at what they do. I actually did enjoy Daniels versus Chima. It's one of the probably two matches on this whole show that I thought was sick. I also did not like this match. If this was on the pre-show or if there was no pre-show, either way, this match, not only did I not like it, the placement of it was all wrong for me. But that being said, no matter how these shows are or these matches are sequenced, whatever the early matches are, aren't going to work for me because of the way the matches are constructed. Um, What I mean by that is this was, again, another high spot fest with everybody kicking out of everything, which opening match, whether it's the... any match on a pre-show or the opening match of a show, unless it's like a WrestleMania quality thing. And I don't care what anybody says. None of this AEW stuff is WrestleMania quality yet. Just because WrestleMania, in my opinion, every match on a WrestleMania show should be big enough to essentially headline any other show. Um, I don't ever want to see somebody kick out of a finisher in an opening match. That is so that ruins the entire show for me. And that's what they were doing um, right off the bat. So, yeah, I, this this match didn't do it for me. You know, Daniels comes out again looking like fucking goofy Freddie Mercury with that microphone. Or, you know, he's dressed like Michael Jackson's 1991 tour outfit or those My Chemical Romance outfits. Um, and he has that microphone with the half stand. And the only thing he uses it for is to fucking yell Stone Cold University to the crowd. Like, come on, man, you're better than this. I feel like he should be better than this. But maybe he's not better than this because regardless of how old he is and how experienced he is, he just refuses 
to do a fucking incline chest press. Why? You're going to take your shirt off for 30 years and just have that as your chest? I'm, I'm just so over him. If he's such a good trainer, let him just be a fucking trainer. Um, and this was supposed to build interest for the uh, Chima Omega match, right? Did absolutely nothing to build any intrigue to me whatsoever. Now, the highlights after the match looked great. So whoever is running production and, you know, the, the video for AEW is really, really good. And maybe they should just become a clips show because if they have these, you know, 10 or 12 minute matches with, hey, just do a bunch of fucking crazy shit. So when we do the 30 second wrap up with the highlights, it's like, wow, that must have been a great match. If I would have saw just the highlights at the end, I would have went back and watched the match. But after seeing the match, I was like, nah, those highlights are just somebody who's really, really good at picking and choosing and editing. Well, the funniest thing about this match for me that I thought when they first came out, despite, like I said, I, I didn't dislike it, so I'm not trying to go back on that, but I was like, okay, so who are we pushing here? The 40-year-old guy or the 50-year-old guy in our new young, hip wrestling promotion? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's great that they had a platform, but like you said, it's supposed to build interest in Chima, a guy who's, you know, well past his prime. Not to say he's not good, but to face Omega, who's supposed to be your second coming, I just, I don't buy it. Well, after that was, for me... The match of the night, which isn't saying much considering what we've said about this show. But it was Riho versus Nyla Rose versus Magical Girl Sakazaki. And I really did enjoy this match. A lot of uh, cool stuff between all three of them. I thought that it was a lot better. You know, the four-way at Double or Nothing, just too many people involved. You didn't really ever feel like it was a four-way. You kind of felt like it was two singles matches happening simultaneously. Whereas this match, I got a little bit more of a feeling of three people competing. You know, there's still moments where... It's one-on-one -on -one with the other person kind of on the outside or taking the back seat. But I really enjoyed this match. I wanted to enjoy this match, but I, I did not. Um, right off the bat, I'm thinking, why another fucking three-way? When are we going to get just, you know, two women doing their thing? Now, I also went into this thinking I'm going to be pissed if Nyla doesn't win. To me, if Nyla doesn't win, it kills her right away. Then it, it's two shows in a row that this imposing beast gets in there and should be... You know, I'm not saying that nobody should have any shine, but she should essentially be dominating these matches and coming out on top. If she doesn't, then it's like, oh, you're just kind of like this sloppy chick who like is really big, but you can't do shit. And that's exactly what happened. I was hoping she was going to go in there and, and win it and just crush everybody and, you know, establish her character. And like I said, her character to me is that, hey, it doesn't matter how big she is. You know, she's kind of like the patsy of the match. It's just so WCW to me. Early 90s WCW had all these huge giants and monsters that they used as jobbers that left, went to WWE, F at the time. And became some of the biggest stars of the 90s. You know, Undertaker or Mean Mark Callis, he never fucking won any match of consequence in WCW. Um, toward the, towards the end of his 90s, early 90s run, Sid was losing all the time. He was getting beat by Sting clean constantly. Um, I don't think Kevin Nash ever won in any gimmick aside from his debut matches in each gimmick, whether it was... Uh, Master Blaster, the tag team, Master Blaster, fucking singles, Oz, or Vinny Vegas. He was a jobber. So 
I feel like that's the way I'm viewing Nyla at this point. I thought all the uh, Joshi stuff that didn't involve Nyla, it just, in, in the context of the match, it just looked silly and just so fucking goofy. I don't think anybody clicked in this match at any point unless Nyla was dominating. Um, I thought the double top rope catch was the only impressive thing or the only thing I actually enjoyed in the whole match. And then, you know, big surprise, everyone does their finish, and then everybody kicks out of everyone's finish. It was just, and then the actual finish of the match was just really silly to me. I thought the entire match was silly. Um, Nyla just doesn't seem legit to me at all anymore. And then, you know, she gets her heat back at the end, and then right off the bat, or right away, she loses it. And, um, you know, it's the whole... Oh, what's going to happen? Are they friends? Are they not friends? And it's like, what's the gimmick of the match? That Yuka is mad or she's sad after the match? I don't care. Fucking get your ass to Mars. Now, do you think that the placement of the match on the show, do you think you were already kind of burnt out on the show by the time this match came on, that that may have affected how you perceived it? I think the only reason why I would say no, normally I would say, oh, that's probably it. I was just sick of it. I was, you know, physically uncomfortable and I was already two hours into watching a show that I hated was the fact that I was looking so forward since Double or Nothing to seeing Nyla have a match. So then like, all right, so here's the one person this entire show I'm looking forward to up until this point. All right, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And then, oh, it's a three-way I was like, oh, you know what? It's going to be cool because she's going to just fucking King Kong Bundy this entire thing. And then once that wasn't happening, it was like, oh, I'm just waiting for something to happen. And any time I thought I was going to get it, just like kicked me in the balls again. All right. Well, the show was downhill from here for me. So I can't wait to talk <laughs> about the rest. This. Yo, let, let, me, let me interrupt. You know what's like so fucked up about this? I was really excited about the buildup of this show. And I hated it. Now, Fight for the Fallen is tomorrow. It's so soon. And I haven't even gotten a chance to watch any of the road twos for that. And despite hating the show, just reading what the card is. And it's crazy because a lot of these guys are straight up just don't even like anymore or already. But I'm really looking forward to the show. So there is something to be said about that. Like we've said a ton of times is show or this podcast i don't even know many of these guys aside from what they've done so far in AEW and just hearing their names and i'm still being sucked into the hoopla every time i don't know why i feel the need to qualify that like i don't hate AEW at all even though i despise this show with the fucking fire of a thousand suns well the reason why is because it's such a borderline political thing you know how either you're a democrat or you're a republican you're you know you're one of the other it's like you either love AEW or you hate it. You either love WWE or you hate it. It's uh, it's such a line that's been drawn by wrestling fandom that, uh, you know, I don't know if our kind of fan is rare, but definitely rarely speaks where we can appreciate both, you know, and we want both to be good. I know people say that a lot, that they want both to be good, but then they watch the show and say it's good when it's clearly not, so they don't really want anything to be good. They just want things to be theirs. They just really want to lie. People love lying. Well, it is no lie that this next match, MJF versus Jungle Boy versus Havoc. What's that dude's name? Jimmy Havoc versus Adam Page. I did not like. 
the MJF promo before he comes out obviously rules. Everyone's talked about it uh, on, on the World Wide Web. You know, he makes fun of the audience and just says true things about them, which is great. He he did not lie. Uh, just talks about how, you know, they're all losers and into video games and stuff like that. And th- those are both ob- objectively true facts. They are losers, for they are at this show, and they like video games, and that's why they're at the show. But Luchasaurus obviously <laughs> sucks. Like, why is... Jungle Boy riding him are Saurus's from the jungle, George of the jungle, jungle to jungle. He should have come out with Tim Allen, Jungle Boy. Uh, that would have been more convincing to me than Luchasaurus. We already saw Tim Allen's son job out on SmackDown previously recorded, so we might as well have Jungle Boy come out with him. And the thing that really bums me out about Luchasaurus is his triceps rock. I don't know if you saw this dude's arms. They're really cool, but everything else about him is just garbage get him away from me i i watched him do an interview recently because i was like you know what maybe if i just kind of get more information about this guy maybe i can at least like the performer and even if i don't like the character and i like both less um the thing is i already dislike this guy from big brother and (laughs) his character is but in his own words is that he's a Dinosaur with a master's degree? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And the only thing he is a master of is pissing me off. And oh, he's, person, a, he's a master at that. The only person who deserves a doctorate in that is not Britt Baker, but Jimmy Havoc. Give me a break, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm supposed to think this dude could beat somebody up. You know, while you're fighting the CEO of CEO, I want to fight Jimmy Havoc. And he can bring his little staple gun or whatever he wants that... Convinces people that he's dangerous, but I promise you I will destroy him. They call him the king of the deathmatch now. You know, that title gets thrown around whenever it fucking feels like they have nothing else to say about someone who does garbage wrestling. They say it about uh, Moxley later on also. But, dude, being called, in my opinion, being called the king of the deathmatch in 2019 is like being called the best deathcore band. Like, idiots may like it. But there are mainstream turds that want to rock but can't do anything in real life. And, you know, whether they get any attention or not, like, it's fucking bogus. Like, it's 2019. If you want to be king of the deathmatch, go to a backyard or go, or, in my opinion, stay within those confines because that's just so not cool to me. You know, oh, I fell through this glass, and then I fell through this light bulb, and then, you know, I fell through this fucking ant farm. And being king of the deathmatch is a bold statement to make because, do you know who Superhuman is with two M's? (laughs) Yes. That is the king, all right? So you better, if you're coming for the crown, you better not miss because my man is holding it down. This match was whack as hell. I would have rather just seen MJF versus Adam Page, two guys who are competent enough wrestlers, who I don't even love either one of them, but I would rather see them just have a one-on-one match. I don't know why that wasn't the match, and maybe they're saving it for something, whatever. But I could not get into this. No, I'm, I'm with you. And like I said prior, I've already chosen. Like, oh, you know, Hangman is my guy in AEW. Um, I think the fact that Justin Roberts announced him at 290 pounds was hilarious, and fuck him. And I think the fact that JR acknowledged that Justin Roberts said 290. I thought that was funny. That was probably my favorite part of the match. Um, Another thing, with all these matches having 100 people in them, the whole AEW thing, or one of the AEW things, is wins and losses matter. 
how the fuck do you tally a win and a loss in a four-way match? So does that mean that, you know, Paige gets the win and the other three guys get losses onto their record? Because that doesn't make any sense. Um, now, on top of that, you know, we already know that Paige has the title match with Jericho at All Out. And this was supposed to be whoever wins this match fights uh, Sabian. It's just the whole thing was was just so confusing. Um, I don't know, man. I just I didn't I didn't get it. And I'm with you. This match did nothing for me. Yeah, that was the one thing about this and the Daniels Chima match is that it's it's already a foregone conclusion who's going to win. What are they going to have Chima lose to Daniels and be like, well, maybe he can beat Omega. You know, it's like that's not going to happen. Same with this. Like Paige is about to go for the the championship. Is he going to lose to these three other guys? Of course not. So I really was not enjoying this. And this is, like I said, the beginning of the end for me, even partially enjoying anything. All right. So the next match highly talked about, not so much for the match itself, but the afterthoughts of it, the afterthoughts. What a, what a great sentence is Cody versus Darby Allen. Now this match for me, a lot of people are like, man, Darby Allen is a star and him coming out like a journeys employee with his denim shorts over his tights the body bag with Cody's name on it. I did like the body bag thing. I thought that was cool. I guess that's like part of a thing he does from watching that, the wrestlers show that we talked about previously, but um, nothing about this match was cool to me. That weird spot that they keep on replaying where he just like does a trust fall, I guess onto the ring apron um, sucks to me. I don't get it. And, uh, the only thing that I really liked about this match, especially in comparison to the rest of the show up till this point, is it seems like this match, JR on commentary, really kind of came into his own. Seems like he liked the show as much as we did up until now. And on this match, he kind of got into, into it a little bit more. And from here on out, he kind of was back to how he normally is. And I liked seeing that because obviously JR's a legend. He's great at his job in theory. But in all the announcing I've heard him do for New Japan, the announcing even at the last AEW show, pretty subpar for me and, and borderline sad because I want to remember him as a great announcer. And I felt like he kind of revived that a little bit for me here. I thought it was very, very bizarre when JR was putting over Kurt Cobain. He was relating Kurt Cobain to Darby Allen. So this was, I guess, in, in a manner of speaking, this might have been the only match that I came close to enjoying. Now, I like Darby Allen, which I think is a little weird because on paper, Darby Allen is almost everything that I say that I don't like about wrestling. Um, but I, I do like him, I guess maybe because he's kind of believable to me. The thing is, he does some things in the ring that like genuinely worry me. But at the same time, that's, that's his gimmick. Uh, so that almost like puts him over with me that much more. When Cody's coming to the ring, fucking shit ass Justin Roberts, they he has the pseudonym the throne breaker. The fucking Whoa. the goddamn fucking throne breaker. So the really low budget uh House of Horrors, Halloween Havoc, nineteen ninety-one, Abdul the Butcher style shitty Disney ride throne bullshit from Double or Nothing that they should just pretend like never happened because it was so embarrassing. He's embracing that with the throne breaker. 
So that is really, really the dictionary definition of garbage to me. There was AEW chance when Cody was doing push-ups. I've probably done more push-ups today than the entire AEW locker room over the past month. And I never heard anybody chant AEW. And it's not because, well, the reality is because like I am entirely unpopular, but that's not even the reason. It's because chanting AEW to push-ups is the world's stupidest thing. The end. You know, I wonder if someone's going to chant AEW when I bench press. Or what won't they chant AEW to? Eating cereal? The seatbelt locking? Tying my fucking shoe? (laughs) You know, I don't really have a whole lot of opinions about the chair shot, but let me talk about this Maple Leaf Punisher bullshit logo Sean Spears has on his shirt. I don't know if that's a Sean Spears shirt or what, but God, I hated it. I hated it so much. Now, the only thing that was cool about the finish of this match, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself with the chair shot thing, is that it was a time limit draw. But the thing is, is I hate the time limit draw that it's like, okay, so the idea is, oh man, Darby pushed Cody to his limit so much that he couldn't put him away in the time limit. But really, if the time limit would have been five seconds longer, he would have lost. So it wasn't even, it was barely a time limit draw. It was more like a, normally what you would do like for an Iron Man uh, finish kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know what's even worse about that? That at no point do I recall them saying what the time limit was, but then you hear 10 minutes gone by or 10 minutes left in the match, and then you hear five minutes. So, of course, it's going to be a draw. And then at that point, there the fucking body bag is in the ring and being used, but there's no DQ, so I don't understand that. And then the belt is being used. There's no DQ for that. And then a draw. I don't even think it was 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Like, fucking why? That's so lame. It's, it's, it, it's the worst. Uh, so that spot you were talking about before, the trust fall, I think they were calling it the coffin drop, which I've never heard oh of. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, I, I'm sure you hate that. I kind of like that. Or not even kind of. I, I did like that. I thought that was that was. The coffin drop. I wish someone would drop mine right now after you told me that. I could not believe that he not only did that, but and missed, but landed on the apron. I like, I seriously, I had a physical reaction to that. So I think everything that they're going for to get Darby Allen over was perfect in this match, aside from the finish. I don't think this match did anything for Cody. This match, in, in all actuality, made me think less of Cody just because of the way it was booked. So then after the match, like you said, fucking Ty Dillinger comes in and hits Cody with the chair. And then all of a sudden the entire show is about Cody. So just like the young bucks are Shane McMahon, Cody is fucking triple H, but at the same time, Cody's not fucking triple H. You know, who's triple H triple H is triple H. You know, I don't understand why there has to be, all of this parallels and it's just so obvious for someone that wants to do something different and do things on his own and be the alternative. He's going out of his way to parallel his career to triple H, but he's like a little baby version of him. And I'm not even saying that triple H is better or worse than Cody, but Cody's making the comparison the whole time. And one of them kind of 
you know, really grinded and ate shit and worked hard. And then, hey, maybe fucked his way to the top. Who gives a shit? One of them is there and one of them is trying to get there by emulating the other at every turn. I think making this whole entire match, which in my point of view should have been to get Darby over, which it did, but then it takes away from it because the entire thing is focused around Cody getting hit in the fucking head with a chair. Now, that chair was gimmicked, which, you know, I was able to, I believed I was able to tell as soon as it happened. Now, all the post interviews and internet about it is like, oh, yeah, the chair was gimmicked. The chair was gimmicked. And they're saying, oh, it was so gimmicked that it hit him in the back of the head and cut him. Okay. I know that's what's being said on the internet, but at the same time, this is wrestling. And every single thing that wrestling does is a work. They showed that replay. 175,000 times, and then I went back and watched it in slow motion on my own eh, four times. Cody didn't get hit in the back of the head by anything at any point. Cody got hit with a gimmick chair in the side of the face, protected himself as as well as you can uh, with that type of hit. It was fine. And then he went down on the ground and gigged himself really hard in the back of the head on the other fucking side and then bled buckets. Now, I don't care about that. You know, oh, you get hit with a chair and it's gimmicked? Great. Protect everybody. Oh, then you cut yourself to make it, you know, to bleed in wrestling? Great. I love it. Following it up later on with, like, all these, like, weaving in and out of truth about, oh, well, it was a gimmick chair, but it actually hit him. Why not just fucking leave it alone? Oh, I can't believe Sean Spears hit him. And if you have to go inside about it, why not say, oh, well, he was supposed to not hit him in the head because it's wrestling and he hit him in the head. Sean Spears is real fucked up and Cody got hurt. Leave it at that. So doing this like, well, we're exposing it, but we're not. I don't know. I, I, stuff like that shouldn't bother me, but it, it does bother me. It was just, that whole gimmick is just fucking dumb as hell. Oh, you got staples like are those staples legit? It seems like the Twitter picture was legit. But that's because you fucking cut yourself too hard. You didn't get hit by some magical spike on a gimmick chair. I thought that they took the time to make it seem legit in the ring. And, you know, MJF appears for some fucking reason. Because he's Cody's friend in real life. And there's no heels or gimmicks. Uh, heels or faces in AEW. That's fine. Whatever. What I was thinking is, okay, so I'm Cody. I'm in charge of the company. Uh, Sean Spears just interrupted my match and hit me with a chair. He's at least getting a warning or something, right? Like, we're having a an employee-employer meeting. Some demerits are being issued. With the way that they're incorporating the work with the reality, I think for stuff like this is a detriment to them because they're acknowledging the work off of the TV show. It's 2019. That's the way wrestling works, and it's, and that adds to the fun of the TV show. Acknowledging the work on the TV show and then working on the TV show, to me, it just it's totally illogical. So if it's Cody, the head of the company, and I'm hiring this guy, and oh, we're going to have a match, but we're buds, you know, it just, it's just entertainment. But like, oh, wait, he's mad at me. He hit me with the chair, so like, how are we going to handle this? Oh, well, maybe I'll call him on YouTube, and he'll be like, you know, Cody, I'm so mad. My wife is so hot. And then like, well, you know what? Because of that, instead of being fired or getting 
suspended or anything and you hit me in the face with a chair, which is not supposed to happen, let's have a match. Eh, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. So we got two matches left. The next match is going to be the Lucha Brothers and their partner, the Rodeo Kid? Laredo Kid? Laredo Kid. <laughs> the Rodeo Burger from Burger King when the movie Small Soldiers came out. And they are facing off against the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega dressed as Street Fighter characters, which I have a problem with for a couple reasons. Number one, Kenny Omega is using hairspray to make his hair red for Akuma, not even dyeing it. No commitment to the gimmick. Garbage. Secondly, modern company wanting to kill the past. So what do they do? They make references to 30-year-old video games. Hey, man, what is it that people love about Kenny Omega? I don't know, man. I really don't. I'm trying to figure it out, and like I said, I, I'm fully aware that there are things that people love that I don't love, and that's fine. And I'm fully aware that there's things that I love that people are like, oh, that sucks. Like, how can you love that? But um, I'm still trying to figure it out, what people see in Kenny Omega. Yeah, there's. I, I really don't get it. I want to get it. Oh, man, I want to get it so bad. I want to see him and be like, oh, of course. He's awesome. But he's not awesome, so I don't see or say those things. And I am just left confused and sad. But the Laredo Kid and the Lucha Brothers are cool and way more mastic than the other three guys. And that is something that I do like. I do love that. I love that. Obviously, I love the Sarah Miedo thing from Pentagon. But the fact that he just more and more just puts his hand in people's faces while he does it palms them with his face but like it's not even his palm it's like the back of his hand i guess yeah it is he he is badass and he rocks but aside from that i don't know if you remember there was that northern light spot which i actually thought was really cool but then there's a huge pop for omega because he does an elbow and a backbreaker huge pop it's just it's so bland i don't know what the fuck i'm missing like I'm sure there's a storied history behind him and shit that I just missed. And that's the thing that people are into him for. I don't think so. Because I followed him in New Japan when he, from the time he joined the Bullet Club, which I'm sure he had a career before that. So I'm not saying I was there at the beginning, but I'm saying from before he was a big deal through when he was a big deal to now. And at no point have I gotten it. Yeah, there's well, one match of his that I've ever liked. Well, maybe two matches, and one of them was two out of three falls against Okada because Okada's incredible. It has nothing to do with Omega doing anything other than getting clotheslined into oblivion. And the other match was against Michael Elgin. And you know what? I'll give him credit for it. Both of them just did good. It was at the G1 Climax 27. But two matches out of I don't know. I've seen a hundred of them. Yeah, so this match, I decided I just really don't like Omega. You know, could that change? I hope it does, but um, I don't know. But, so I know we're at the video game show, so certain things are going to go be excused. But, and I'm sure you know where I'm leading with this, could you fucking imagine if any other promotion on God's green earth... Did the fucking Hadouken. Are you out of your fucking mind? And I love Street Fighter. And theoretically, it's fine. It's wrestling. But 
come on, man. If this is the wrestling alternative, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I couldn't possibly see somebody, like, they keep talking about the lapsed fan. The lapsed fan watching this and then seeing that spot and then being like, oh, brother, this is what I've been missing. This is, like, what I remember about the NWO and Steve Austin. Or this is what I remember about Hogan at Madison Square Garden. No, man. This is, to the lapsed fan, you know what this is? This is little kids on YouTube doing flossing and that Fortnite dance. That's what the fuck this match was. Yeah, to the lapsed fan, this is proof that they're right. Like, oh, you know what? I'm glad I stopped watching this when I was a child because that's what this is for. Children and babies. And it's really too bad because I really think the Lucha Brothers and the Laredo Kid team was really enjoyable and like we said before you know pentagon he is just such a fucking rad guy to watch do anything so it's almost like he's probably what either the tied for fourth or fifth you know uh most important person in this match i would have liked to seen pentagon versus you know one of the bucks I would have chose that over this match. I would have uh, chose most things over this match. Well, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Like I said before, so many of these matches just become friends playing in a pool after fucking acrobat class. Um, Omega's mannerisms are the worst. Everything he does to me is the worst. The crowd chanting fight forever. But no one's fucking fighting. They're goddamn dancing. This is like theater in community college level um of course every single finish was kicked out of and then once again of course who goes over in the match uh the executive vice president Steve. yes of course like well, i, I said like the stiffest shots are yet to come because even though the regular show ends with this match ugh, 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 even though the regular show ends with the tag match between the lucha brethren and the dork squad <laughs> the not death rider moxley in fact this is marine moxley versus the bad boy he's bad <laughs> he's bad at being a human being joseph janella first of all i don't believe it's unsanctioned because the AEW logo is still lit up all right so don't even try to convince me that it's not really part of the show Secondly, what is the deal with, man? So we watched the New Japan Moxley matches, right? Very cool. He comes up from the crowd still. He's wearing those like barbed wire biker shorts. He's got that cool music. He's the death rider, whatever. On this, he doesn't come from the crowd. He's not wearing his New Japan championship belts, nor does he have that music. He's wearing like this weird like faux army surplus store clothing and man it sucks so bad at, at the time that he's coming out the announcers are saying that janella is afraid of nothing but he's certainly afraid of a dumbbell heavier than 35 pounds he has fear he is afraid God, I, uh. I hated this 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 match it's perfect that this match closed out the show because if you just showed somebody this match they would know everything about the show and the only people that would like this match is not the lapsed fan, is not the new fan, is not somebody from Newfoundland, Canada. It would be somebody who already 
thinks that everything that Kenneth Omega and they're not even that young. Okay, we haven't even brought up the fact that the Bucks at this point have been young. It's like Jay-Z. He's like young hope. It's like, yeah, man, you're like 45. Come on. Everything that they do. This match sucks. Okay? Everything about it sucks. There's a point in time that's actually the grossest part of the whole match for me where Moxley is touching Janela's feet because he's about to jam them into the thumbtacks. And he doesn't know how many needles have already been in those toes. What is thumbtacks going to matter? <laughs> they say that Janela's another hungry athlete. He looks nor neither hungry nor athletic to me in the full 20 minutes of my life that they drained. Oh, he, he, is, he is fed. He definitely drinks dark soda. He drank a Mountain Dew before he walked out there, I'm sure. You know, this is uh, unrelated to this match, but it's more interesting. So I watched that Batista 24 last night. Sure. And at one point, Batista's backstage with the rest of Evolution before they're about to go out and do the Evolution shit on SmackDown 1000. Ric Flair sitting in a chair, smiling like the Joker, drinking a fucking Mountain Dew. <laughs> That's, that was really, really weird to me. But it was more entertaining than this show. It, it doesn't hold any water in 2019. You know, it's obviously sanctioned and it's, and it's wrestling. Like, it's, it's not a big deal. It almost lessens the match to me. That was hard for me to, like, suspend my disbelief. Stop trying to sell me on this thing. I know I'm watching a wrestling match. I'm going to, you know, suspend my disbelief enough in the match. Don't, like, well, the actual show is over. But we're still being broadcast on Bleacher Report. And being that the actual show is over, no one's getting paid. But I'm going to sit here and do this commentary anyway. Nobody's doing anything in wrestling unless they're getting paid. <clears throat> um. Again, with the King of the Death match shit, I'm fucking yawning. Justin Roberts is selling it, and it sucks. So the fucking lights go out again, and I'm expecting the Putty Patrol to show up. But instead, it's Janela, and he has some whacker variation of Van Hammer's entrance theme. You know, Moxley comes out, and like you said, it, he he has a different presence in AEW than he does in New Japan. We went on about it, how much we thought the New Japan Moxley was was cool. You know, that's kind of what I want from Moxley if he's not going to be Ambrose. At least when he comes out, I feel like something matters. You know, um, so I don't know. Maybe he should team with Van Hammer also. Man, but, he's um, one of the six Ultimate Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you know, Janela is gross. You know, they do some crazy shit with chairs and stairs. You know, it's it's more of a hardcore style than it is a deathmatch style. And I think that is cool to exist in AEW. Um, once it crosses over to a full deathmatch thing, it's going to lose me. And, it, you know, it doesn't lose me because I'm Jim Cornette or I'm like, oh, all that garbage wrestling. It's just the deathmatch style in this day and age is, in my opinion, well, I kind of like wrestling, but, you know, I don't want to learn how to wrestle and I don't want to tell a story. And these people will say, oh, no, we're telling a story. No, you're not. It is backyard bullshit brought in front of the eyes of paying customers. And the thing is, even with like the extremer hardcore stuff, 
I said, there's a time and a place, but it needs to be rare, you know, one or two times a year. Otherwise, it means nothing from my point of view. You know, I towards the late 90s and early 2000s when there was straight up in uh, WCW and WWF, the hardcore division, it was either comedic or it was straight up. Oh, look, Raven's got a shopping cart full of bullshit. They're going to hit each other with bullshit, and then someone's going to lose. Like, it doesn't fucking mean anything. It doesn't hold any water at that point. Um, so I think that they need to really, really pay attention to that, especially because the way that all of these guys work, they don't fucking sell anything. So if somebody's getting hit with barbed wire and light tubes and glass and tables, and they just go through all this shit and then get up and don't sell any of it. It sucks. It's so stupid. I hate that shit. Imagine a barbed wire board on TNT. Are they going to be able to do that shit on TNT? That shit should never be on free TV anyway, in my opinion. That should be on a major blow-off on a pay-per-view. But a guy like Janela, what the fuck else is he going to do? He can't go in there and do something like that resembles a real match. So what is he just not going to be on TNT or they're going to put him on TNT and quickly everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, what, who who the fuck is this guy and why is he on television? Although, you know, we could say that about a lot of the guys on this roster. The, the only thing that I really liked about this match was a really small handful of things that Moxley did. And I did like the elevated DDT as the finish on the tax. Yeah, I like that. That's, you know, like an enhanced version of his finisher. And that's how he puts him away. And, you know, I'm cool with that. But it's just overall, by the time it got to the finish, I was just, it was a mercy killing for me. Uh, Yes, yes. Okay, so the match happens, whatever. Um, Then Omega comes out and attacks Moxley after the match. Now, from my point of view, that makes, that makes Omega the heel. Especially because, you know, despite Moxley attacking everybody at the end of Double or Nothing, he is the face. You know, Moxley is the face. He hasn't done anything yet that makes him not a face. If he was part of the company prior and he attacks Omega, then he's the heel. But coming in with all this hoopla from WWE, doesn't matter who he attacks. He's the face, even if Omega is the face. Now, Omega coming down and attacking Moxley after this match, you know, that makes him the heel in my mind. Now, in AEW, are there heels and faces? You know, there doesn't need to be. You know, it, it's, it's 2019. But not only Omega attacking him, but all the things that he does to attack him. So he takes drumsticks and he's hitting him oh. with, with drumsticks. That is like, oh, and then, then he hits him with that guitar, that fucking dumbass Squire guitar, you know, which, of course, if Omega is going to touch a guitar, he's going to touch one without a floating bridge, a complete fucking unlocked nerd. But um, come on, man. The only thing that could have saved this segment for me, which is actually what I, th- I legitimately 100% thought was going to happen because they had that band setup thing and they had it the whole show and they kept on panning over to it. As I swear to God, I thought after the Moxley match was over that Fozzie was going to start playing and then Chris Jericho was going to come out and he was going to also take part in the attack. But that didn't happen. I would have 
says something for me where some what would have saved something for me is hearing a Fozzie song because normally that would not <laughs> save anything that would cause me to need saving but this show as a whole sucks I'm genuinely excited still to see Fight for the Fallen because we got nowhere to go but up as Daffy Duck once said well we're also I feel like we're excited to see the next show because we're it doesn't seem like it but we're rooting for AEW so it's kind of like oh can't we? well despite the card that they have which is you know pretty you know has some exciting points to it we're also i believe if we're in agreement here we want them to have a great show to make up for this one as soon as possible exactly exactly and on top of all that they have this brilliant wrestling mind like Jim Ross who I don't think is going to stick around and be associated with a lot of stuff that we saw on the show. So I, I feel like he's going to have somebody's ear to try to make up for a lot of the more egregious things that happened here. So, yeah, I do want them to make up, make it up to me because at that point, you know, Double or Nothing overall liked. This show overall hated. So let's, let's get another one in the win column for you. TV is going to change everything especially these spot shows tv is going to change it dramatically and that they're still kind of finding their way creatively which i i think is great you know no band start most bands don't start and put out their greatest record or their their demos not their best effort in the grand scheme of their career you know um aew definitely is not lincoln park but just to tack on because Janela was in the last match we spoke of. Did you see and or hear about the Joey Janela Enzo Amore confrontation in real life at all? Let alone the fact that it happened at, at a Blink 182 show. <laughs> fucking Blink 182 show. It, it's so, it, it, when I saw it, I thought it was a kayfabe news article because these two dorks who are not intimidating in the least, getting into a quote-unquote physical altercation at what kind of show? Oh, at at your best friend's little sister's favorite band show. Now, I'm from Long Island, so the majority of street fights go like this. You have a guy who essentially is Enzo, like a Napoleon complex wannabe Italian fucking dork, talking shit, using some corny... Italian accent. Hey, man, I've been to real Italy. They don't fucking sound like that. Nobody from New York is Italian. You know, you're like eight generations deep. You're fucking American and you're a nerd from New York. You know, hey, I love The Godfather, too. And, you know, if you go into the DNA test that my sister did, where you find out uh, where all your ancestors are from. Yes, I also have like 12 percent Italian you know, in my blood, if that shit even matters. But if you know anything about Italian, you know, you're fucking white European. Um, so you have one guy like Enzo. The only difference that Enzo wasn't yelling, yo, don't fucking touch Gina. And then you also have a guy like Janela, a guy who has never been to a gym, who may have done lots of play fighting with his friends in a pool or, you know, in a fucking light bulb store, but has never actually been in a real fight either. And just looks like some white dork in a tank top who loves Blink-182 putting his fists off and then constantly backing down. It was that. It was like barely even any jaw jacking. 
aside from Enzo with his fucking pseudo Goodfellas accent, saying like, yo, bro, bro, motherfucker, I'll wreck you. And and then some girl behind him, behind him saying like, you better shut the fuck up. And nothing happens. So it's two really short white dorks, and I could be describing myself, but I'm not because I'm not two and I'm only half white, kind of yelling at each other at a really terrible musical endeavor. The end. Enzo is so pathetic that even Zack Ryder doesn't want anything to do with the prototype retro figure that they scrapped from production. Because the only one you don't want is Dolph Ziggler. Oh, if they make that figure, I will get him, but I will, I will be very angry about it. All right, well, that's going to do it for the Fighter Fest portion of the show. Stay tuned to next week when we'll be reviewing Fight for the Fallen. But in the meantime, do we have any uh, questions to close out the show? We do. We have some good ones. So Ray wants to know, do you think Johnny Nitro slash Mundo slash Hennigan slash Morrison slash Impact will change his name to Johnny Elite if he goes to AEW? I think AEW will change their name to All Morrison Wrestling. Oh, I like I like that one. Maintain his name as Johnny Impact. He will be Johnny Blackcraft. God, that one's the worst one. Hey, you know what I think is funny that I've realized, but it never really struck a chord enough to give it a second thought. But after reading this question, it gave me a second and a third thought. Is uh, how Gargano, also Johnny, has kind of stolen this gimmick with initially being Johnny Wrestling and then Johnny Takeover. And then Johnny Champion. Yeah, you're right. I've never really thought about it that way. Christopher asks, Balor says Nakamura paints a picture of chaos. Would you love to see an OG Bullet Club versus Chaos Faction War? Would you love to see uh, Chaos versus OG Bullet Club? Well, I mean, they basically had that back in New Japan. Um, I mean, with everybody in New Japan being in a stable, more or less... It could be a cool, like, Survivor Series match, though. Sure. I mean, you would have what? Who would the team be? It would be Balor, Gallows, Anderson, Tama Tonga, and Bad Luck Fale, I guess, would be the OG5. Versus uh, who we have? Nakamura at the time. Yoshihashi, who I met outside of a Thai restaurant the other day. Uh, Goto is recently, more recently in Chaos. But, man, did you see Goto when you watched uh, Dominion? I don't know if he was on that show. I can't remember off the top of my head, but... He is just gigantic now. He used to be like a pretty beefy looking guy, but he just looks jacked out of his mind now. Um, I don't know who I would round out my my chaos team, but uh, yeah, it'd be a cool little Survivor Series match or something like that. But did you see the Balor Nakamura SmackDown match? Yeah, I loved it because Nakamura more or less—I don't want to say squashed him, but I guess squashed him for a better, for lack of a better term. But it was a, a intelligent victory. You know, he just forced Balor to use all of his energy to get back in the ring and just would blast him and knock him back outside of the ring. I thought it was really cool. I hate the whole victory in a non-title match earns you a title match trope, but uh, if it leads to Nakamura just repeating that, maybe not even repeating that match, I mean, I guess Balor could learn from it but still come up short. That'd be cool too, but um, I I liked it. What did you think about it? I thought the match was great, and I hope it is a consistent thing where this match could essentially be, oh shit, Nakamura's back. That's what I'm really hoping for. I enjoyed the match, and I think that the angle between the two of them essentially 
based around the title is really cool. I like that. Um, well, speaking of that show, another question was Kevin Owens promo last night, the best promo of the year in WWE. My opinion, yes. It was so much fun to watch and listen to Kevin Owens throughout that entire show. Um, really cool. You know, and I was like, oh, they're fucking flopping him face again already. But, you know, he needs something a bit different. And the his return is face and the whole New Deal shtick. That was kind of obvious. It was leading to a heel turn the entire time. Where this seems, uh, in a good way, spur of the moment and a bit more organic. And I love that he's voicing in the show what people think outside the show as far as, oh, enough of the fucking McMahons. Um, his delivery is great. So, yes, I thought that was the best promo of the year so far in WWE, at least. Well, I want to agree, and I liked the promo, but the thing is, is unless they fix the problems that they're now letting us know <laughs> that they're aware of, but, yeah. it's actually possibly the worst promo of the year if it just continues to be the Shane McMahon show, because he's not the first person to say it. And uh, I, I loved him being fired up. You know, I love whenever they try to, I know it, it gets thrown around too much, the whole like, he's the new Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that's in reference to lots of people. I mean, uh, Dean Ambrose was called that before. Becky has been called that. Owens. But I like the idea of like the, the rebel with a cause kind of thing. Um, especially Owens, who just consistently storyline-wise, it would make sense that he would be more fed up with it than anybody because he tried to be Shane's lackey, but he kept on getting beat up as a result of it. But yeah, I mean, unless they actually fix the problem, then it's just them kind of laughing at us through <laughs> the filter of Kevin Owens. So um, I will say tentatively, yes, but potentially the worst. Can you see Marty Skrull come to the WWE regardless of his professional relationships with the AEW hierarchy? His girlfriend being Deanna Perrazzo, who's in NXT. Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't like to see Marty Skrull come to WWE because he's probably my least favorite wrestler in the world. I think he sucks. Uh, and I don't, you know what? I'm glad he's having fun or whatever, but I don't see anything villainous about him. Uh, the fact that Diana Perrazzo dates him makes me think less of her because he looks like he has bad breath. He doesn't do anything interesting to me. Um, I guess what he's borderline a comedy act, right? With the whole chicken wing thing and the the fingers. I just he does nothing for me. I, I dislike him so much, and I don't want to see him anywhere, much less. Uh, television show that I watched. Uh, do I think he could come? Yeah, sure. He could. Lots of people that I don't like could do things that I don't care for. But I sure wish he wouldn't. Well, maybe he could bring his umbrella. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? And, and maybe he can come out to Rihanna's song, Umbrella. Hey, did you know that uh, Kill Switch Engage recorded a cover of Cult of Personality that originally was going to be Punk's theme song, but WWE heard it and were like, nah, we'll just pay for the real thing. I did not ever hear that. Yeah, I just heard it recently. Pretty, pretty funny and interesting. Who was the singer at the time? Jesse. I heard it was uh, because Howie's Funhouse ruined it. <laughs> yeah, the devil you knew wasn't known enough for them to not just pay living color. So James asks, was the Hogan Warrior double clothesline in the 1990 Royal Rumble the best moment of everyone's childhood or just mine? I don't think it's just his, but it wasn't the best moment of my childhood, but it's close because the best moment of my childhood was 
later on that year, 1990, on my birthday, which was August 19th, because I got that orange Ultimate Warrior t-shirt, which getting a wrestling shirt back in the 90s was so, so difficult. Um, and I also got the Hasbro ring, the Hulk Hogan Series 1 Hasbro, Jake the Snake Series 1 Hasbro, and the original black and red Nerf Turbo football. And then also airing on USA was SummerSlam Spectacular, which was the essentially a, a two-hour show on the Sunday preceding one of the big pay-per-views where they kind of do last-minute build-ups to each angle. So, you know, still based around Hogan and Warrior in 1990, but just uh, six months later. What about you? As far as we're talking about wrestling childhood, because, I mean, we're just talking about my childhood in general. Uh, Mrs. Brewer gave me a carnation in first grade that was a really big moment for me. But if we're talking about wrestling wives, Starcade 92, when Sting finally defeated uh, Vader. So Starcade 92 is so good. Everybody in wrestling world now looks back at that show as like a big miss. There's a lot of shows that I grew up thinking were so great and are some of my favorite shows that they look back on as big misses, also like WrestleMania 9. Starcade 92 is so good. It's so much fun. And also, when This Is Hell recorded Sundowning, even though it was you know half a joke and I knew it wasn't going to happen, when everyone's like, I think we should name the album this. I think we should name the album this. I was really pushing hard to name the album Starcade 92. Yeah, Starcade 92 really rocked, especially at the time. I mean, yeah, of course, watching it back, I still like it a lot. Uh, it it maybe not as much as I liked it as a child. But, you know, when I watch any of those old things, and when I say old, I mean anything before modern era, you know, anything really before 2001. When I go back and watch it, it's interesting watching it with a new perspective because a lot of things that I liked before, maybe I don't like as much now. And a lot of things that I didn't like, I like a lot more now. The first thing that comes to mind is Luger in general. When I was younger, I thought Luger sucked. I hated him. And now when I go back and watch the same stuff that I hated him for, I'm like, oh, he's the best. Mm -hmm. He's so sick. You know, so it's just a different perspective as you learn new things and have different ideas about things. But uh, Sting finally beating Vader after seeing, I forget what show it was prior to that, but Vader just, you know, annihilating him. And Sting wasn't able to get the upper hand. So him beating him at uh, at Starcade '92 was was pretty exciting for me. Although Vader was in like like multiple matches on that show, right? He was in the Lethal Lottery. Sting, Sting also Vader and Sting each wrestled three times. Oh, okay, um, this is a tangent, but so do you think Starcade '92 is your favorite show, your favorite childhood show? Well, I guess that depends on what we're thinking of as childhood. I mean, because definitely, as far as it's not even my favorite Starcade, you know, uh, Starcade gotcha. 97 being when Sting beat Hogan. You know, I know retroactively or retrospectively, rather, it's frowned upon. But at the time, I didn't understand all the overbooking and convoluted thing. At, at the time, I remember thinking Sting finally beat him. You know, it's been a year and a half. He, it, WCW was so convoluted and goofy back then that it didn't even none of the things that it's known for now even occurred to me at the time. Gotcha. Uh, DDP winning the U.S. championship on that same show at the time. DDP was my up-and-coming, you know, new favorite wrestler. Um, Saturn uh, fighting Chris Benoit. So, you know, but that that's five years later. So I don't know if we're considering that childhood. Um, if we are, then I would say Starcade 97 is probably the 
the biggest moment of my childhood. And Bash of the Beach 98 with uh, Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman. You know, I vividly remember these things. Obviously, that match isn't a classic. And even at the time, I didn't think, oh, this match is really good. But I remember it being a big moment for me. I remember, you know, because back then, I don't know uh, if it was like this for you. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't have access to $60 for a monthly not monthly pay-per-view. Well, I guess they ended up being monthly around 97. But Yeah, at that point, there was monthly for both companies. But in 92, for sure. Um, so I had to really hustle to try to get to even see these shows, which made them probably immediately more valuable to me because I was going to make sure I liked it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, it's yeah. the same thing with music nowadays. If you had to buy a record back in the day, you gave it several listens if you didn't like it. And if you loved it right off the bat, you you know you wore it out as opposed to Spotify. You hear like, oh, check this out, check out this record. You listen to it, it doesn't blow you away. You never listen to it ever again. <clears throat> but right. I brought it up because I don't know if it's my favorite show. It's definitely one of my favorite shows. But overall, I know it's my favorite show. But my favorite match of all time is Sting versus Flair, Great American Bash, nineteen ninety, and it's my favorite match so much. It was also the first pay-per-view that I was able to order on my own and I recorded it and I fucking wore that tape out. Um, so I make it a point to, if I don't watch the entire show, I watch at least that match every year on July 7th, but I was off July 6th this year. So I watched the entire show and it was, um, it was probably the first time in maybe three or four years that I watched the entire show but I really, I carved out a chunk of time. I am doing nothing for the next two and a half hours except for watching this show. And that show still completely holds up to me. Every little thing about it, even the fact that there's several quote-unquote throwaway matches on those shows, or on that, on that show, it's still, every match serves a purpose, and I love every part of it. And it's a nostalgia thing. I've watched that entire show probably 175 times, but... Yeah, maybe one week when we don't have as much. I mean, there's so much wrestling happening right now. We'll have to have uh, some feelers out to people if you want to tweet at us at Stiff Shots Pod or leave us a message on Facebook or whatnot. But we should review possibly an older show because, man, Great American Bash 90, uh, you got Captain Rotunda, you know. Uh, hey, you're no longer part of the varsity. I guess we'll just put a hat on you and now you're a captain. Oh, I uh, love it. Love so it. sick. You got uh, Iron Sheik making, uh, to me, a rare WCW appearance. I mean, definitely not as prevalent as he was in WWF. Uh, you got Flying Brian just killing it, looking peeled. Um, and uh, I feel like there's, oh, the Steiners were on it, right? Um, yeah, yeah, the Steiners have a great match with the Freebirds. Freebirds Doom, awesome. Doom, Doom at their, you know, absolute massive ass-kicking is <laughs> doomiest. Um you know, they, they, oh, that show is filled with shit. Oh, I, would, wow. I would, I would love to do that. Maybe you know, like you said, tweet us or write us on Facebook or Instagram, and I would be down if there actually was a little bit of demand. We could even do a bonus episode one day, just either, you know, reviewing an old show. Okay, last question. Last question. If there was another athlete turned wrestler, like Ronda Rousey or Matt Riddle, or even to a certain extent um, Rodman, to come into the main roster, who would you like to see? I mean, that's hard to say because, you know, there's so I think it would need to be somebody that's a fan of it. Rodman and Malone back in the day, I think they were kind of casual fans, but they weren't like they never had aspirations of being wrestlers. Same with Rousey. Um, you know, she obviously a naturally gifted athlete and she loved wrestling, but it didn't seem like she 
before her MMA career and judo career was like, oh man, maybe I can be a wrestler. So I would love it to be somebody that wanted to be a wrestler, but things just didn't pan out that way. You know, it seems like an easy pick to go with somebody MMA, somebody that's already a combat sport, you know, for it to really be worthwhile, like a Ronda or a Rodman, it's got to be a bigger name. And so, I mean, you really got to kind of shoot for the stars there. I mean, I always think about how LeBron is already built like a wrestler. He's like, what, 260 or something, seven feet tall. Like he would be crazy at uh, something like wrestling, but probably not something he wants to risk uh, his his life for to make even less money than he does now. But, so I feel like this might be an obvious choice. But um, if we're going the MMA route, I think Conor McGregor would be amazing. That's been teased so many times. And it's funny because it's usually teased by him talking about how much he thinks wrestling is bullshit. But I'm fairly certain that's because he's smart and he's working the whole thing. Um, I think he would excel because, you know, he's a tough little bastard and he could he could talk. Um, and plus, all anybody cares about in wrestling right now is Irish people. So I'm sure that'd be good for him. But if it was completely fantasy, I would love to see Aaron Judge of the Yankees. Formerly of the Charleston River Dogs. So he could come in and, you know, dress like an Instagram filter with a dog and swim up the river and then just bash everybody's head with a bat. He could probably join AEW and do that. And people would be like, oh, my God, let's watch him do push-ups and chant at him. <laughs> yeah, that guy rocks. All right, well, that is going to do it for this episode, the seventh installment of The Stiffest of Shots. We hope to bring you a little bit more optimism next week, but hey, who knows? Maybe it'll be even more pessimistic, which means it'll probably be funnier and more enjoyable because people prefer complaining about stuff than they do praising it. But not us, so we hope to praise it. We hope to praise you like we should, Fat Boy Slim. But until then, it's important that you know that Amazon sucks. Drop the rules. Goodbye.